Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. All right. How you guys doing this morning? Good, good. There's a lot more people in here right now than when the service started. Yeah, man. I'm like, look, I saw what was, who was here when we started. Now I'm like, man, it, I think some people wanted to stay in their sheets a little longer. It was too cold outside. Oh, I felt that way too. It was, it was chilly. I had to wear a coat this morning. I had to bust out the winter coats. At 30 degrees outside. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to be here this morning. And, and just during worship, um, that, during that first song that we were singing, I was just really connecting with that first song and what Ben shared with just keeping the Lord number one in our lives. Amen. I just, I felt that so heavy. You know, I, I love Ben. Um, see you in here? He's still hanging out in back. All right, we can talk about him since he's not in here. But uh, I love him, man, because he's so humble. And he's so authentic. He's so genuine. And just even to be able to share something like that, just the, the gentle rebuke of the Lord. You know, that says that he's a son. Because Hebrews 12 says that sons are disciplined by their father. And that someone who doesn't receive the discipline of the Lord is illegitimate. And he disciplines us because he loves us, because he sees something in us. He sees himself in us. And he's wanting that version of him to come out out of all of us. I love the story of Samuel in the Bible because to me it just always reminds me of the importance that the greatest call in all of our lives is to seek and know the Lord. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the first verse starts off with, and Samuel ministered before the Lord. As a young boy serving under Eli, it said that he ministered before him. And the last verse of the chapter said that he was known as a prophet throughout all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. And it says to me that before God can ever entrust someone with a platform, give someone a title and name, that the way you get to that place is that you make your ministry to the Lord before it ever becomes to people. My whole life, I've always grown up with this sense of like deep purpose, calling, a destiny on my life. Not necessarily that I knew what it was, but even as a little kid, I think that's why I just loved action figures all the time and Saturday morning cartoons, you know? There's this a comedian, he says, uh, I love this little take he has. He talks about kids playing with Batman, Spider-Man, Superman. He's like, these are not fantasies. These are options. <laughs> and I relate to that. But yeah, I always just grew up with that sense of purpose. Anyone else has lived their life with a sense of destiny, of purpose, like God puts you on the earth for a reason. And part of the journey in life is we spend our whole life trying to figure that out. What does that look like? And it gets revealed piece by piece as we come to know him more because we see who he is in us. That's the hope of glory. That's the hope of that thing that you felt in your spirit. As a young kid, I want to do something amazing. I want to be an astronaut. I want to go to the moon. I want to have a Batman suit. (laughs) 
And Jesus even said it. The greatest commandment that any one of us could ever have is to love him. And then he said the second is like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. When I read the scriptures, when I look at all these great heroes of the faith, there's one thing that I recognize that every single one of them struggled with. It wasn't in the relationship with the Lord. So many of these people were so obedient. God would say, leave your family, leave the country. They'd leave. He'd say, lay on the road. You know, eat this scroll. They'd eat the scroll. I'm like, what? If someone told me to eat some paper, I'm like, what? What's up with you? I don't think I'm hearing the Lord right. But they did it. But the greatest struggle that all of them had happened in the second commandment. It happened with the relationships. Every single person here has struggled with their relationships. Through all the Bible, it's the stories of how man wanted to fill the call of God on their life. But when they came into the context of people, of relationships, they encountered resistance, they encountered trouble. The greatest struggle in David's life wasn't the lion, it wasn't the bear. It was his family that neglected him when the prophet came to the house. The greatest struggle in David's life wasn't the Philistine army that he was warring against. It was the king that he was serving faithfully, loyally, that grew jealous of him and wanted to kill him. The greatest struggle in his life, it wasn't leading a kingdom rightly. It was his sons who saw the way that he led was weak and wanted to take the throne from him. The greatest struggle was his relationships. And the reason why it's the greatest struggle because that's what the enemy is constantly attacking. Because he knows that in your obedience to the Lord, in your, in your desire for connection with him, he can't stop the Lord from reaching out to you because that's what he does. John 6 says this, that God himself stirs up the conversation with you as the spirit of God hovered over the waters that brooded it up. God pursues you and he can't stop God from pursuing you, but he can try to stop you from receipt, from what you've received from him in his pursuit of you in giving it to others. I want to look at this passage here. In Psalms 133, if we can put it up on the screen. And it says this, it says, I'll just read it here. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. See, when we're able to make that connection, when we're able to love our neighbor as ourself, we're able to love the people in our relationships, despite their flaws, despite their differences, it releases an anointing from heaven that breaks the yoke of oppression, that breaks our strongholds, 
And that is what the enemy is against. He's against the connection, the relationships that we have in the unity of the body because it's in that place where the kingdom gets expanded. The Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. I'll tell you, the battle over the heavens is over the relationships of the earth. And the battle amongst the relationships of the earth is for the heavens. In Ephesians 3.10, it says this, that God's intent for the establishment of the church, for the coming together of all sorts of different types of people, coming together in unity, was to release a wisdom that would dismantle principalities and powers. Ephesians 3.10. The power that rests in you becomes amplified through the relationships that we have. And that's what the enemy is against. And that's why some of the hardest things that we could ever do is learn to love the people who are closest to us, despite their differences, despite their faults. The greatest weapon of the enemy is the weapon of accusation. He likes to disguise it as wisdom, as factual, but it's how he just tries to destroy the body. Isaiah 58 says this, that if you can remove the pointing of the finger, the weapon of accusation from your midst, then you will actually be known, you yourself will be known as a repairer of broken cities, a restorer of the breach. So today, I want to talk with you about how this played out In the life of Abraham, a father of the faith, because he had a call in his life, but he didn't know how to access it, access it. So if we could turn to uh, Genesis 12, I want to read some scripture here, jump around a little bit, and I want to talk about the story of Abraham. Um, So if you want to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Oh, I've been looking for it back there. It's been up here. Oh, I was like, wow, oh, this one out there. You got me. All righty here. So Genesis chapter 12. So now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this is a powerful word. This is a word of the calling that's on his life. This is what you would call this the calling moment. You know, I, I want to say this too about callings. I, I, I personally believe that everyone has a great call of God on their life. And I believe God has literally spoken to every single one of us about that call. Whether we actually realize it or not, I think some people, we, we miss it because we, we don't value it. We don't value the own identity with us ourselves. So we maybe see, oh, he's, I got this thing that I know about. And maybe it was spoken to us from someone else, like David's calling. David's calling didn't come from a word from on high. It came from a man. 
And sometimes the relationships that we have is actually speak the calling and the destiny inside of us, but we don't want to believe it because we can't see the value in and of ourselves. And until we can see the value in and of ourselves, we will never be able to see the value of the relationships that we have. You have a calling in your life. I would just encourage you, go back Look through the words that have been spoken over you. You know, it's not so much of a thus saith the Lord, but just when people give you these words of encouragement, there's weight inside of them, especially when you bring it to the Lord. When I look at every single one of the callings in the Bible, I got this thing, man. I want to write a book someday in my life, and my wife has really lit a fire under me recently because, side story, my wife just released the book this week. It just came out this past Wednesday. We are super, super excited about it. She wrote a book about her, her four-year journey through barrenness and how God taught her to not lose hope. And it's a powerful, powerful story. And we're just, you can pray with us. You can believe with us. We're believing that it's going to give a lot of people hope. It's going to set a lot of people free. But I do, I want to write a, a book on the callings of God because they're all so different. But yet one thing that I see that's very um, similar between every single one of the callings of God is that in every single one of them, it often leads a roadmap of their destiny. And when I look at my own story with the Lord, there's things that he did in my life earlier on. There's in these divine moments, defining moments in my lives that I thought was just that for that moment. But yet it was painting a picture of who I was to be, of how my life would go, of what my faith would look like walked out amongst the different relationships that I would have throughout my life. Go back and look at these moments that you've had with the Lord because there's a mystery within them. And it's telling you a story bigger than what it probably looked like in the moment you received it. So Abraham... uh, had this call, and what's interesting about Abraham, all we know up at this point is his family. His dad was named Terah. He had a wife, and she was barren. That's all we know about him. So what we know is this. He loves family, and he has a desire to have one, but he can't. So God gives him this word, and this word speaks to the very desire that's in his heart. I'm going to make you a family. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to make you a blessing. I would imagine that there might have been some thoughts in Abram's head about himself that he wasn't a blessing. Because of his father's children, he couldn't reproduce. He couldn't extend the family name. And that's an honor especially in that day and age, it is today. I mean, I remember when we were walking through our um, fertility issues, I just remember thinking, like, is the Brinson name going to die with me? I'm the only son. And I just asked the Lord, I said, God, I'm going to be thankful if you give us a daughter or a boy, but I really want a boy. <laughs> and it's for that purpose. Something that's in the heart of a man. And in that moment, he spoke to it. And Abram obeyed. He said immediately he left. He left his family. He left his country. He left everything he knew to chase after this call that was on his life. 
See, that's him responding to his relationship to the Lord. That's him responding out of the first commandment of loving the Lord with all his strength, all of his might. But then he starts going into these different situations. He starts engaging in different relationships. And the first place he goes is he goes to Egypt. And there he sees these people, and they're all different from him. They're not like how he was brought up. And he becomes afraid. And he asks his wife to lie for him. Say that you're my sister so they won't kill me. And you see this, this thread play out throughout his life. He would encounter different people, but there would be this sense of fear that would rise up because of their difference, because they weren't like him. And so we go on to the story, and this is the last uh, bit of scripture I want to read before we get going here today. I want to go to Genesis chapter 20. And I want to start here. And from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Sur, and he soldiered in Ger. And Abraham said to his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself say, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, do I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And so he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return to her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all of his servants, and told them these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom such a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought. There was no fear of God in all this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you that it's alive and it's living and it's applicable to all of our lives, God. Would you just help me to communicate your heart today? Would you speak what you want us to hear? Would you speak into the depths of everyone's heart today? So that we can not only carry the word that you've given us, but that we can carry it faithfully in the relationships that you've given us as well. Amen. Abraham was created to be a blessing. That was the call in his life, but he didn't know how to. And part of that was because he was still tolerating lies in his head. He was walking in faith with God, but he was walking in fear with man. He was walking in history with God, but he was also walking in hesitancy with man. And it's funny how a lie can make you think. 
Because the lie can make you think that even the blessings on your life are bad. And made them think that, hey, having a beautiful wife is a bad thing. <laughs> I remember reading that as a single man. I was like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> I still think it as a married man. I was like, I have never once looked at my wife and been like, she is so beautiful. I am so in trouble. You know, I'm like, gosh, thank you, Lord, you know. But it shows, goes to show how much a lie can change the way you look and you see people, even those closest to you, like your wife. So he goes into this foreign land, and Abimelech, he's actually, um, he, he, um, he, he worships multiple gods. So he's definitely different in the way, in his religion. He's definitely a different man. He's not who he's used to. Abraham has lived his life devoted to one God. And to me, when I hear that, I just feel like there, it shows that you can be, how oh, do I want to word of that? You can embrace people without being influenced by them. Because there's one difference. So many times we want to shun people. And one of the things that I've learned in my life with just guarding myself from being critical and judgmental of other people is that there is a difference between recognizing what convictions that I carry are biblical and what are personal. And that's the way the enemy really tries to separate people, especially I feel like in the church. When we don't know the difference between what's a biblical conviction and what's a personal conviction. That's how the, the serpent got Eve. God told Eve, do not eat of this tree. But Eve established a personal conviction of not only will I not eat of it, but I won't even touch it. So when she said that to the serpent, he knew he had her because he knew he had an end that he can weasel his way in. Because not everyone carries your personal convictions. And we can't judge people based off of that. Because in doing so and needing that self-awareness, it allows us to pull on the wisdom of God. Without the self-awareness, we often lean into criticism and suspicion. And when we walk in the wisdom of God, we become one who actually helps in the building of a house, where a critic becomes one who helps in the tearing down of a house. So Abraham, well, he, he was wrestling with this. He, he was like, man, he was seeing everything from an outward perspective, not even in the engaging perspective. And so as soon as he walks in, he... he he concocts this lie out of his own fear. And then when it gets exposed, I love this line. Abimelech says to Abraham, what did you see that made you do such a thing? And Abraham's response was, I thought. What's interesting about these two words, see and thought, is that these are the two words that are found in Genesis chapter 1, where it said, and God spoke, let there be light. That word for spoke is the exact same word here for thought. And then it said he saw the light, and it was good. See, God was aware. He was walking in awareness of his thoughts. He was walking in awareness of what he created inside of his mind, so that when he spoke it, he could see it. And he saw that it was good. Abraham was not walking in awareness of what his thoughts were for people. 
so that when he spoke it, he didn't know what he was creating because when he spoke a lie, he literally created an atmosphere of death. That's why the Bible says life and death is in the power of your tongue. That's why God comes to Abimelech to save him from this moment, from this lie that was released amongst his nation that was literally about to kill his entire family. Your words are powerful. And so when God comes to Abraham, I mean, when, um, when God comes to Abimelech, he speaks these things, and, Abraham, and he comes to Abraham, and Abraham immediately feels conviction. And this is a moment that to me it says that when we embrace in relationships, three things come about. Because there's three things that are mentioned in the story that have never been mentioned in all of Scripture up until this point. And I want to talk about those three, three things really quick here. The first thing that happens here in Scripture, and these are three things that are in Scripture from, from Genesis to Revelation. They are found all throughout the Bible. The first thing that is mentioned is a dream. This is the first mention ever in all Scripture of a dream. There's actually 21 dreams in the Bible. And if you break down dreams, it covers up about a third of the entire Bible, from the actual dream being released to the what it plays out walking out. And Tertullian, who was an early church father, he actually said in the time when the church was trying to do away with spiritual gifts that for the better part of mankind, the greatest revelation that God has ever given to man has come by the way of dreams. And so it says to me that in this moment where where Abimelech shares this dream, that relationships impart great revelation because they become shared. When I married my wife, I came into it with a dream of my own. But when I married her, I picked up a dream of hers. When I, came, when I married my wife, I came into it with my own history with God, with my own revelation. But when I came into that relationship with her, I also acquired hers as well. And Abraham... I believe received this. I believe this is how the church found dreams from a polytheistic king. Because Abraham began to have a value for dreams that he taught to his kids and his kids' kids. And three generations later, his great grandchild, Joseph, had a passion for dreams, not just in recognizing it, but for realizing, for, for, for desiring to understand them. So much so that when he had a dream of his youth, he followed it all the days of his life and was able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh that saved the world. By this relationship of two different people, of very different people, when they embraced, when Abraham fully began to see what God put in this man who was completely different from him, he was able to receive a revelation of dreams that would bless his family and one day save the world. The second thing that happens here in the story that has never happened in all of Scripture before was that it reveals, for God reveals a prophet. There's never been a prophet that walked the earth up until this moment. And I don't even think Abraham knew that he was a prophet. But God saw him in his identity, in the way that he's followed him, the way he's been obedient to him, the way he's listened to his voice. And this says to me, that relationships bring a new level of identity to us. When we reject relationships, we reject our identity. 
When I married my wife, I was no longer a single man. I became a husband. When I had a son, I became a father. So it brings new identity into greater awareness of the identity that we have because they pull on the gifts, they pull on the talents of us, and they reveal to us what God has put in us. It pulls out that hope of glory that God has put in us that's needed for the establishment and for the building of the body. And it's easy to not see the value and the calling and identity in our lives if we are not looking and recognizing the value and the identity of others. And the third thing that happens here, that hadn't happened in Scripture up to this point, is the first mention of prayer. When we engage in relationships, it brings an increase to our prayer life. Anyone who's a parent knows that. When you become a father, when you have a relationship with your son, Someone who you actually see, your daughter. Someone who you actually see. Like, that's a relationship where it's like you see them. You love them no matter what they do. There is that love that's so strong, and that's why your prayer life goes up. That's why you start praying prayers. Many people are like, I don't have much of a prayer life. It's because you don't see probably the value not only in yourself, but the relationships that God's given you. And I think it's interesting here, the, the story of prayer, that it's like, why, why here? Why is prayer mentioned here? I, I, in my mind, I get the dream, I get the prophet, but prayer, it's so foundational. And so I think back to when the disciples asked Jesus to pray and how Jesus taught them how to pray. The first thing he instructs them in the path of prayer is the recognition of relationship. Because it starts with our Father, who is in heaven. It starts, and he doesn't, he doesn't refer to him as our God in heaven, our Lord in heaven, our Savior in heaven. It's not that. It's the relational component of God. But then it keeps going. If we keep going down the list, there's a list of things that's needed here for these guys. There's a need of restoring their relationship between Abimelech and Abraham. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us of our faults that we've done in our relationships as we forgive those who faulted us, who've done wrong to us. Lead us not in this day into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's a problem that needs to be fixed. And all these things can only be done through the recognition of God, our Father because it ends with, because he's the power. And so right now, they're in this situation where both of their nations are dying. You know, it's interesting. Abraham had a call to be a father, but Abimelech's name is my father's the king. There were both, there's both a call in both of their lives for fathers. And when he sees him, when this moment happened, and he actually sees him for who God created him to be, for who he is, he sees a lot of himself in him. He said, man, we're not that different. My wife's barren. I've been carrying this pain. Your wife's barren. So Abraham releases his prayer, and it opens the wombs of a nation. The first prayer in all of Scripture opened the wombs of a nation. 
And it didn't only open the wombs of a foreign nation, it opened the wombs of his nation because the next verse goes on to say, and Sarah bore them a child. It brought the answer to his problem in his life that brought the answer to the problem in someone else's life. And it allowed him to walk into the calling that was on his life to be a father of nations because from his word, from his prayer, a nation was established in Abimelech. So you have these three things that when we engage in relationships, it comes with an increase of revelation, an increase of identity, and it increases the prayer life and the power of the prayers that are on it, that we carry, that we release. And I just want to ask the question today, as we finish up here, what relationships in your life are you not seeing? What relationships in your life are you encountering? Are you dealing with a lie about? Maybe they've been wrong in your history. But that's looking at the temporal. That's looking at the seen. We're called not to look at that which is seen, but that which is unseen. Because that's eternal. And that's the way the Lord views them. Because we're called to draw it out. The calling inside of a man is deep waters. But it takes one of understanding to be able to draw it out. Jesus modeled this so well. When he saw Nathaniel, Nathaniel said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's like a racist statement. It is. He said, Listen, you, your mom, your brothers, your friends, your relatives, everyone you grew up with, nothing good comes from you people. Jesus' response was, Behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. He didn't listen to the negativity of what he spoke, but he spoke to him based on what he saw in him, based on how God created him to be, and it changed him. What relationships is God waiting for you to change based off your history with God because of your calling, because you were called to be a blessing? There's a call in your life to be a blessing. Years ago, I went to a school in Mozambique with Heidi Baker, and um, it was a really powerful, impactful time. And I went with a friend, and I, I actually it was a guy I didn't really know, and we became friends there. And as I got to know him, I just really began to see all these amazing things in him. He was just such a cool guy, such a gifted guy. But I remember as the year went on, I began to get jealous of him. And I began to see just only thing wrong with him. Just everything wrong with him. And I remember it was the last day of class, and it was just a powerful service where we were worshiping and the Lord was moving. And I'm sitting in front of the class with my eyes closed, and I hear the Lord say, open your eyes. And right in front of me, I see this guy. His name was Seth. And he's laying on the floor. And I knew the Lord was about to say something to me about him. And I was like, oh, gosh. And he said to me, Zach, give him what you have. Give him what you have. And I was like, oh, and I knew it. I knew what he would say. And I was like, I was just churning my heart. I was like, I don't want to. I knew what he was speaking of. He says, I was jealous of what he had. 
He said, give him what you have. Because you'll pick up also what you honor. And so he's laying on the ground, and there's a crowd of people, and so I couldn't get over to him. So I kind of got on the ground, and I weaseled over, and I laid down, and my head was on his head. And I went to pray for him. And as I'm laying on him, our head on head right here, a woman comes over, one of the teachers comes over. And what I didn't know was happening was she had told him to lay down, and they were about to dump oil on his head. And when I laid on him and I prayed this prayer over him and I began to weep over him, the oil that was meant for his head, they ended up pouring on my head. And it ran down off my head onto his head. And the blessing that they were going to declare over him, they declared over us. And I still remember these words that they said, all these words of identity, these words of destiny. I just I remember weeping, and he was weeping. We were crying, and I remember we got up from that moment, and we were just tied together. And it's that Psalms one thirty three. How good is it when brothers dwell in unity? For it's like oil poured on their heads, running down upon their beards, like the beard of Aaron, and it declares blessing and life forevermore. The weapon the enemy is accusation and he's trying to pull apart the relationships that God's given you what relationships are in your life that you've entertained a lie about that you've allowed the enemy to distance you from that God wants to release a blessing through that God wants to do something amazing through you really more of who he called you to be Releasing a prayer that will release the power of heaven that could potentially not only change your life, but the world. I think this is an important question to ask as we go into this holiday season we meet with families. Because there are families that have been separation for too long because of lies. You know, the first governing body that was ever instituted on the earth was the establishment of the family. He spoke to Adam and Eve and said, I want you to govern this world. Have dominion. What does he want to do through your family? So I ask you to just get with the Lord this week. Ask him, God. Expose the lie so that I can be a blessing in the places where you've called me to. So God, we just ask you for that tonight. We ask you for that today, Lord. Would you expose the lie inside of our hearts, inside of our minds? Would you expose the wrong thoughts that's affecting the way that we see the relationships that you've given us so that we can give what you've given to us, what you've given to us freely that we could give to others, Lord. Would you help us to see? Will we not look to the things that are seen, but we look to that which is unseen because that is what is eternal? Will we declare the good? Will we declare your favor? Will we declare your blessing so that we can be a blessing and however that may look? We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.